Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you so much for meeting us in this place. We thank you for the deep inner work that only you can do by the power of your Holy Spirit. We thank you that we this morning have received your grace, that you have heard our prayers and praise. And Lord, I thank you that you always answer. And so as we turn our hearts in these moments to your word, I pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Lord, that we may receive the words of life. Let it be so. In Jesus' good and powerful name. And everybody said, Amen. 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 You may be seated. If you have a Bible, please open up to Matthew chapter 5. This is where we're going to be. Matthew chapter 5. So thankful hearing from so many people about how they're connecting this journey that we're on, this life along the way journey, where we're simply reading through Jesus's life, reading through the Gospels. And uh, it's been amazing to hear from people. It's been encouraging to hear from people as you are making these connections between our daily readings throughout the week and then the message on Sunday. And so thank you so much for that. I want to let you know that today's uh, sermon comes from yesterday's text, today's text, and also tomorrow's text. I normally don't go into the new week if we're not there yet, uh, but, but I will this morning because I believe that Jesus has something to say to us. And so before we jump into that, I have some very serious business, so stop me if you've heard this one. There was a lady sitting on a plane reading her Bible. man sitting beside her said, are you reading the Bible? She said, yes, I am. He said, do you believe all that stuff in there? She said, yes, I do. He said, what about Jonah being swallowed by a big fish? Do you believe that? Yes, I do. He said, well, how do you explain that? She said, I don't know, but when I get to heaven, I'll ask him. The man said, well, what if Jonah's not in heaven? She said, well, then you'll have to ask him. <laughs> <All right. laughs> oh, so good. Oh, God. oh, man. Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. We're going to be in verses 13 through 20. If, if I could ask you just one more time, I know, I know Jared's already been talking about dancing and you're all worn out and you just got settled in, but if I could ask you one more time, would you please stand as I read God's word for us today? We just want to stand out of respect. Jesus said these words, verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota or a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven." For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. This is the word of the Lord 
for us. Thank you, guys. You may be seated. Today, I want to talk to you about the God who keeps his word. The God who keeps his word. Truth is, we live with a lot of pressure in life. And it's sometimes during life more pressure than other times. But there's a particular kind of pressure that every one of us live with, and that's the pressure to perform or to be good enough or to measure up or to meet a standard, either a standard that we impose on ourselves or a standard that's imposed on us by others. And all throughout life, we can feel this kind of pressure to perform. We can feel it at work. We can feel it in our families. And in many different places, we can walk around living with this idea that I have to measure up to somebody's standard. And then we can begin to think, because I have to live life this way, we can begin to think that, well, also I have to live up to, measure up to, perform for God's standard. And many times, as God's people, we can actually put pressure on ourselves that's not there. But this text is one of them. We can read passages like, uh, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. We can hear that and all of a sudden start thinking, whoa, I need to do what salt does. I need to do what light does. I need to make sure my righteousness is not, maybe not perfect. I just need to be better than the scribes and Pharisees. And all of a sudden we start putting all of this pressure on ourselves. But one of the things we have to remember is that we have a God who always, always, always keeps his word. In fact, Philippians 1.6 says that he, God, who began a good work in you will see it through to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. That the work that God does in you, he is going to see that work through to the very end. And this does not mean that we're passive in any way. Oh no, God initiates his redemptive work in our life. We have to respond to it, but ultimately it's God working in us and through us, creating us into the person that he sent his son to die for us to be. But again, we live with this pressure. But I think we have to back up and ask some very important questions. And the first question is simply, what is salt? What does it mean to be the salt of the earth? Jesus just kind of throws the statement out there, you are the salt of the earth. And then he moves on to a warning. We'll get to that in just a moment. But what does it mean to be salt? We know that salt does not cure anything, but it does prevent corruption. We do know that. And so many times when we come to this passage, we say that salt is a preservative. Yes, but the question is, what and who is being preserved in this moment? You see, when salt is mentioned sometimes in Scripture, salt points to the promises of God. In fact, it points to, in the Old Testament language, a covenant of salt. When God talks about salt, many times he's talking about the promises that will come to pass, the promises that are absolutely going to happen. And so whenever we hear the phrase, you are the salt of the earth, many times we kick into gear and we think, oh, I need to do something. I need to do what salt does. But instead, I think Jesus is saying to us, instead of what do you need to do? I think Jesus is saying, maybe you need to receive something instead of do something. There are two places in the Old Testament where a covenant of salt is mentioned. One has to do with Aaron and the priestly line. 
the Aaronic Covenant, as it's called. We see in Numbers 18, 19, that God is giving the duties of the Levites and what Aaron's family, what his descendants will receive as an inheritance. The other tribes are going to receive land, but for Aaron and his tribe, as they minister and work in the temple, they receive something else. In uh, Numbers 18, 19, it says, all the holy contributions... That the people of Israel present to the Lord, I give to you and your sons and daughters with you as a perpetual due. It was their job to steward the blessings that people would bring in in acts of worship to God. Then he says this, it is a covenant of salt forever before the Lord for you and your offspring with you. So here we see the first mention of this covenant of salt dealing with Aaron and his priestly line. Part of their inheritance was to steward the blessings as they were ministering the word to the world God would provide for them in the temple. The second mention of a covenant of salt has to do with David's line, the Davidic covenant. If we go over to 2 Chronicles 13 verse Five, we see that Abijah is talking to Jeroboam and Israel, all of Israel, and he says this, Second Chronicles 13, 5, Ought you not to know that the Lord God of Israel gave the kingship over to Israel forever to David and his sons by a covenant of salt? Here we have these two mentions of two covenants, two covenants of salt, and in both of them, the word forever is mentioned. These are everlasting covenants. These are promises that are going to come to pass. And the amazing thing about this is that both of these are still being fulfilled today. Many times when we think about promises or prophecies, we think about that they're fulfilled at one point in time, and sometimes they are. But there are also promises and prophecies that are continually fulfilled, and that's the case here. Think about the Davidic covenant. Think about the kingship of David, his line that is always going to sit on the throne. A few weeks ago, we were reading in our Life Along the Way journey about this very thing in Luke chapter 1. The angel Gabriel comes to Mary and says that you're going to have a son. His name is going to be Jesus. He's going to save the people from their sins. And he says this in verse 32, chapter 1 of Luke. He will be great, and he will be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. We see that the promise that's made to David comes down all the way through the lines, all the way to Jesus, who is now king, sitting on the throne, ruling and reigning. But also Aaron's covenant. If you go to Hebrews 6.20, you'll see that Jesus is the great high priest. He is the one that has come down through the line of Aaron, and now he is the one who is the high priest in God's temple, not made with human hands. And then we read passages like 1 Peter 2.9. 1 Peter 2.9 says, But you, the church, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. Notice that. A holy nation, a people for his own possession. This is the same language that God used with the Levites in the Old Testament. And now that language is applied to the church. 
And what this means is that David's throne and the promise about it is fulfilled in Jesus. He is the one who is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He rules and reigns from that throne. But also the promise made to Aaron is fulfilled in Jesus who is the high priest. He is the true mediator between God and man now. And then here's the thing. You have the high priest who has come and in Matthew chapter 5 he's looking at the crowds at ordinary people just like you and just like me and he's saying, and you are the salt of the earth. Now you are a part of the covenant of salt. Now you are a part of fulfilling all that has been talked about. The promises that come down that the king is going to sit on the throne and specifically to the people. Now you are a part of this priesthood. What Jesus is saying to the crowd that day is that you are preserved By the promises of God. If salt is a preservative, the question is who and what is it preserving and who and what? The who and what is me and you as a part of Jesus' royal priesthood. He's the high priest. There's only one. It is him and him alone. But then he looks at the crowd and he says, now you are a part of this. So many times we feel like we have to perform, right? We feel like we have to measure up to a standard. What God is saying to us in this moment through the words of Jesus is that it's not about performing. You're not play acting. You are receiving a promise. You're receiving a promise that now you are part of this covenant of salt, this priesthood on the earth, and you are now preserved in the promises of God. And when you are preserved in the promises of God, you can now shine as lights in the world. That's his next image, isn't it? He says, you are the salt of the earth. You are now a part of this covenant of salt. And then the next thing he says, you are the light of the world. You now are a part of being the light in this world. We're reflectors of this light. Where did he get that? Isaiah 42, verse 6. In Isaiah 42, I love this. It says, I am the Lord. This is God speaking. I am the Lord. Notice what God does. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. Notice that. I have called you in what? Righteousness. Let's try that one more time. I have called you in what? Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. I have called you in righteousness, God says. I will take you by the hand. I will keep you. I will give you a covenant for the people. What kind of covenant is it? Very next line. A light for the nations. I will give you a covenant of light. We have a covenant of salt and we have a covenant of light. You see, when we are preserved in the promises of God, that's when when we receive those promises, it it is those promises that we proclaim to the people. When we are preserved in the promises of God, it is those very promises that we proclaim to the people. So many times we think we're acting. We're performing. It's not your actions. It's not your performance. It's the promises that God has brought into your life. That's what we proclaim to others. Remember 1 Peter 2, 9 again? You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Why? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him, not you, of him who called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. When we are preserved in the promises of God, when we receive those promises for ourselves, take them for ourselves, when we come into a relationship with God, that's what we proclaim to others. We just have to make sure we understand and we know what has been promised to us. 
We have to know the promises like that God is going to give us guidance on the path. Psalm 119.105, we just sang about it, didn't we? Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light for my path. We have to remember that it's God who brings comfort and protection into our life. Micah 7.8, when I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. We have to remember that we're not performing, but we are called to produce fruit. How do we produce that fruit in our life? Ephesians 5 eight through nine, for at one time you were darkness, not you were in it, you were it. You were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in what is good and right and true. When we walk in the light as he is in the light, not only are our sins forgiven, but we show the world what is good and right and true because we are walking in his promises. What about God's provision? Everything we need, we have, comes from this covenant that he has given us. James 1.17, every good and perfect gift comes from the Father, right? It comes from God, from above, coming down from the Father of lights. We have this covenant of salt that you and I, when we are in this relationship with God, we are preserved in his promises, and his promises are true, and they will stand. We also have this covenant of light, that when we are preserved in his promises, we proclaim those promises, not our play-acting, but those promises. We proclaim those to our neighbors and the nations, and that's when we live out Matthew five sixteen. Let your light shine before others, that they may see your good works, and glorify your Father who is in heaven because they see God's promises at work in us. Is this making sense? Both salt and light come with a warning, though. Salt can lose its saltiness. Sometimes we try to hide the light. How does salt lose its saltiness? Salt loses its saltiness when salt absorbs moisture from around it and then dries out. And what is left is something that looks just like salt, but it's not. It's lost its taste. It's lost its tang, as some people put it. It looks just like salt, but it's not salt anymore. I was thinking about that. I was thinking about Paul's words to Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 3, 1 through 5. I think this is a word for our day, my friends. I think this is a word for church people. I think this is a word for people who are playing denominational games. I think this is a word for our culture and our country. 2 Timothy 3, verse 1, but understand this, in the last days, which you and I are in, by the way, in the last days, there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, 
Treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Verse 5, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. It appears godly, no power. Another way of saying that is it, it looks like salt, but it's not anymore. That's a warning. Light can hide the light. How do we do that? What does that look like? I was thinking about that. I thought about Paul's words to the church in Philippi. Philippians chapter 2, verse 14, 15, and 16. It says, Paul writing to the church. If you have a Bible, the heading above this in there that defines this pericope probably says lights in the world. Verse 14, do all things, church, without grumbling or disputing. That's a tall order for a church. Have you ever been in one? That you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Don't reflect, don't be, don't absorb the crooked and twisted generation. No, be different. Among whom you shine as lights in the world. How do we do that? Very next line. Holding fast to the word of life. When we hold fast to the word, that's when we shine like lights. When we hold fast to his promises to us, that's when we shine like lights. Do you see it? You see it? As long as our eyes are on ourselves, we're going to grumble. There's going to be disputing because that's inward. As long as we're focusing on his word, his promises to us, that's when we shine to the culture around us. And here's where I'm going. It is true that both being salt and being light, they come with a warning, but a warning simply explains the consequences of a potential action. It does not determine your decision. That's all it does. It tells you there are consequences that are out there, but it does not determine your decision. And the reason why I believe you're sitting here this morning is so that I can look at you and ask you and remind you that you do not have to lose it. And you do not have to hide it. You don't have to lose your saltiness. You don't have to try to hide the light. You don't. You don't have to live that way. And when Jesus looks at this crowd and he's inviting them to be a part of the covenant of salt, he's inviting them to be a part of the covenant of light, he's saying to them, you don't have to lose it. You don't have to hide it. In the crowd are people called Pharisees, the truth is they're losing it and they're hiding it but Jesus looks out at this crowd in Matthew 5 and he says do not think that I've come to abolish the law and the prophets I've not come to abolish them but to fulfill them this is a covenant that will be fulfilled of salt and of light and he's saying to them you can be a part of it and then he mentions very specifically your righteousness has to exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees or you're not entering the kingdom of heaven. The reason why that warning is there is because the promises of God were not preserving the Pharisees. The promises of God have become a premise for them to invent more religious rules. Therefore, they were hiding the light from the people. And Jesus is saying, you don't have to live that way. 
You don't have to live that way. Instead, you can be people who are preserved by his promises. You walk in them. You think about them. You meditate on them. You claim them for your life. And the more you do that, the more God comes through time after time after time. That's what you tell people. And that's when your light shines. And what Jesus is saying to the crowd is that you can live in my covenant in the power of my lasting promises. Now, listen, there is a difference between what God has promised us and what we want him to promise us. Those are two different things. But what I have discovered is that when I come into a loving relationship with God, a covenant relationship with God, what I discover is that what I truly want is actually what he has for me. That's what I discover. You are not play acting on a cosmic stage. You're not trying to perform for a director in the sky. You're not even trying to perform for the people you're sitting around right now. And what Jesus is saying is this is not about your performance This is about you receiving a promise that Jesus is making to us that we can now become someone new and then with zero shame in our life, we can go tell people, whether it be our neighbor or the nations, about the one who has changed us. When we do that, we will be salt. When we do that, we will be light. And when we do that, our righteousness will exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees. Because we'll stop trying to live up to a man-made rule about something. And we'll start aligning our lives with the promises of God. Now, here's the thing. You can spend the rest of your life if you want to. You can spend the rest of your life if you want to trying to measure up to some standard that you create for yourself or that someone else creates for themselves. You can do that. And you can spend the rest of your life walking around looking at people trying to determine whether or not they measure up to your standard or the one you think is true. You can do that if you want to. I'm here to tell you that I don't think that God has come down and given you a special dispensation to be the moral referee of the world. What I am saying is that God has given promises to you. He's invited you in to be a part of the covenant of salt that's going to last forever. The covenant of light that is going to last forever. And I believe that our job is to receive those promises, make sure they are firm within our hearts and minds, and then we walk in them and we live them out. And as we do, people see the light in us. And man, if a church can live that way, the world better look out. Amen? Father, would you do that for us? Would you help us stop striving for some measure of perfection? Lord, would you forgive the frustration that we've been living with because we have not been measuring up to our standards, culture's standards, maybe our family's standards. Lord, may we just be the people you've called us to be before we try doing. May we receive the promises that you have made to us. May we be preserved in those promises and may we cling to them. And Lord, as we cling to them and people see our lives, Lord, we pray that that is the light that would shine out. 
Lord, this moment, would you help us all receive them fresh and anew? We have a whole week ahead of us. A whole week. And you're going to give so many opportunities that people can see the promise-keeping God in and through us. We believe that. We receive it this morning afresh and anew. And if you agree with this prayer, would you say amen? Please stand to your feet.